We are starting a series, Getting Past Your Past, uh, today. I do want to clarify, this is not a series about, uh, you know, getting past those old high school memories that, you know, you just kind of erase from your mind once and for all. I'm not even going to touch on those, because, I mean, heaven knows, we, none of us want to go there. So, um, this is a series about getting past those moments and those memories in our lives where, for whatever reason, we can't shake them off. For whatever reason, we can't get past these things in our past that continue to haunt us, that continue to creep in on our present, and are really holding us back from our future. Here's the truth. We all have a past. Some of us act like we don't have a past. Some of us do better at hiding that we have a past, but we all have a past, even if we don't realize we have a past. Whether your past is more about what you've done or whether it's more about what someone has done to you, we all have a past. Some of our past... uh, some of, some of the past of those of us in this room, it's more about uh, the sins that we've committed that we can't forgive ourselves for, that we can't get over, that continually haunt our identity. And for some of us, it's things that have happened to us, wounds, words that have been spoken, that have cut us deep, things that people have done that we feel have marked our lives. Statistically, I know that one out of three women and one out of six men will be sexually abused before the age of 18. I know that 90% of men and 60% of women will be exposed to pornography by the same age. And it's not just in the schools, it's in the churches. 50% of men and 20% of women who are regularly in church view pornography. Uh, USA Today ran an article stating almost 60% of American adults say they had difficult childhoods featuring abusive or troubled family members or parents who were absent. A 2014 article from the Huffington Post says that one in eight U.S. children will experience neglect or emotional or physical abuse. And if they don't experience it at home, this kind of rejection that I'm talking about, they'll definitely get it at school. Over 3.2 million students are victims of bullying every year. Approximately 160,000 teens in the U.S. don't go to school every single day because of bullying and rejection. Most of us, by the time we're 18 years old, here's the point, most of us have wounds, have words that have been spoken over us, have sins that we've kind of dabbled in a little bit, that define us from a very young age. And if yours isn't on there, I know you've got one. I've shared this before. One of the most powerful experiences in my life, in a negative sense, was when a friend of a friend, not even my friend, a friend of a friend, was with me at my friend's house and said, man, you're just a loner. Like, you just leech onto other people's relationships. You don't really have your own friends. And for most of my life, that phrase, loner, has haunted me. In the friendships that I've had, I've always kind of felt like they don't really like me. If they, if they knew the real me, they wouldn't want me around. Uh, with my wife, I've had to fight that. With our daughter, I've had to fight that. Nine months old, already wondering, is she going to love daddy? Uh, someone that I know, when they were in a formative period in their life, their mom, in a fit of rage, looked at them and screamed at them. I don't love you. I never loved you. You ruined my life. Those words cut deep. Those wounds aren't easy to heal from. Those are the kinds of wounds that you carry with you most of your life. And whether that works itself out in social settings and interpersonal relationships and intimate relationships like a spouse or a child or at at work, it, it finds its way into your life. But here's the deal. I want to make a promise to you. Today is not about just resurfacing the pain of your past. That's not going to help any of us. Today is about getting past our past. 
But the first step in doing that is acknowledging that we actually have one. So if we could all just agree together that we all have wounds, we all have a past, we all have sins, and just take the mask off for a minute, set that aside, and acknowledge, yes, I have a past, and it's time to get past it. And I want to have us do a little exercise to help us get there. I want you to take out, not your communication cards, I don't want you to turn this in so that you can be honest, but take out a pen in the chair in front of you there, maybe a piece of paper, and just write a few words that you think of when you think of yourself. The things that you don't want to say, you know? Uh, Like lust, like liar, like bitter, like fill in the blank, angry. Whatever it is that defines your past, I want you to write those two to three words, those memories, those moments, could be abuse. And I I want to ask you, the preacher wants to ask you today to doodle. How fun is that? You get to doodle while I preach. You're going to do it anyway, so I might as well make it productive, right? So I want you to doodle as I preach over those two to three words. I want you to doodle the cross, just a picture of the cross over those words. Because it's only in the cross of Jesus Christ and the power that is made accessible to us through the cross that we're ever going to get past our past. As you're writing that down, I'm just going to set up where we're at today in 2 Corinthians. So Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, and if there were ever a... uh, if there were, you know, modern day Las Vegas, if there were ever that in early biblical times, it's Corinth. I mean, people in Corinth, uh, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, but let me tell you, they are not ashamed to do some of the things that they uh, were doing. It is a city known for their promiscuity. Pro, promiscuity, you got it. I'm not going to try and say that. People in Corinth had a past, and the people in this church, their past is creeping into their Christianity. Let me give you a few, few examples. Uh, one, they're getting drunk on communion. Two, they're having orgies in church meetings. Three, some guy's having sex with his dad's wife. Uh, they're abusing spiritual gifts. They're oppressing the poor. I mean, on every front that you look at, this church is messed up. And Paul comes in, the guy who started this church, who first preached the gospel to them, who laid a good foundation in their lives and in this community. He comes in, he sees all this in this letter and he's writing to them to, to correct this, to set them back on course. And uh, I don't know about you, but I kind of expect Paul to, like, flip his lid, you know? Like, I expect Paul to uh, just cut loose on this church, like, you lunatics, what's wrong with you? You know, I just kind of really blow up at him. That's not what he does at all. Check out what he does, First Corinthians six, eleven. He comes to him and, and he says to them, he's, he, he lists all these things that, these, that they were. He says, you were sexually immoral, you were a drunk, you were thieves, you were liars, you were gluttons, you were all these things. But, now, he says, but, something happened to you. But, you're not that anymore. The first step in getting past our past is acknowledging that we have one. You know, Paul doesn't come in with the power of positivity and just say, you guys are awesome people. You're just so awesome because you're just so awesome and that's just who you are. So just get up and be awesome. He doesn't do that. No, he says, yeah, yeah, you guys, you know what? You were. You were all these terrible, terrible things, but something happened to you. He says, this is who you were, but it's not who you are. And he says three things. He says, you were washed. First thing, you were washed. You were washed clean. You know, God didn't just throw a little makeup on the Corinthian church. He didn't just shove their problems under the rug. No, no, no. He says, yeah, you had all these problems, Corinthians. You and I, we've had all these problems in our life, but fundamentally we have to understand that in Christ we have been washed. 
Secondly, he says, you were sanctified or set apart. Paul doesn't come to the Corinthians and say, you're such sinners. Gosh, you sin here and you sin here and you sin here. Why can't you stop sinning? You're just sinners. I'm so tired of putting up with you sinners. Gosh, sinners, why don't you stop? No, it isn't. He comes and he says, you're saints. Uh, It means to be sanctified, to be holy, to be set apart for God. It's a name given to people who live devout lives. He comes and he says, you are saints. Not because of what you've done, but because of the position that you hold. You've been sanctified. You've been taken out of that and you've been set apart for Christ. Thirdly, he says, you've been justified. Justified, it's like standing before a judge. You know, you're, you're either guilty or you're not. You're either good or you're bad. He says, you stand before God, your judge, and you're justified. That when the Father looks on you, he doesn't see your sin and everything you've done, but he looks on you and he sees his son. And you say, yeah, Dylan, I hear you, but I mean, I know the Christian message, but I mean, you don't know what I've done. You don't know all the things that I've done. Psalm 103, verse 12. God, he cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? I think it's pretty far. He goes on. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, he says, all this is done in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, let, me ha- let me ask you a question. Whose name is above the name of Jesus? That ex-boyfriend, is his name above the name of Jesus? What your friends called you when you were little, or is their name above the name of What your parents said to you, that you were a mistake, that they didn't love you, that they didn't, are their names above the name? No, his name is above every name, which means what he thinks, what he says, matters more than all of them, right? So if he says that we're washed, that we're sanctified, that we're justified, then it must be true, Right? No matter what my feelings tell me, it's important for me to get hold of the facts of God's word. Getting past our path starts with knowing who we are. It starts with knowing what Christ has said about us. Paul says, this is who you were, but it's not who you are. He does business with the Corinthians' past by doing business with their identity. If you and I, if we're going to do business with our past, we have to do business with our identity. We, we need to start thinking of ourselves and viewing ourselves the way Christ views us, which is very different from how we often think about ourselves. When we're driving and we hit a stoplight and we're like, oh, God, do you not love me? Even more than that, we get sick and we wonder, does he not love us? Is it something that I did? Is it this thing in my life? Or the people around us don't respond the way we think they should, and we wonder, God, is it... Do you not love me? Do you not care for me? Do you reject me? We need to see the way that he sees us and think the way he thinks about us. Paul goes on, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Did you catch the if there? It's a really important if. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Ifs are so important. I mean, your house will be covered if a flood comes, if. That if's really important. When you go to the hospital and the bills stack up, your bills will be paid if. That's a really important thing to pay attention to in the, in the clause, right? You know, your spouse says, hey, I'll do the dishes and clean the house and take care of the kids. If. Whatever that if is, it's really important. This is the most important if we will ever face in our lives. If 
Anyone is in Christ. If you are in Christ, all the blessings, all the promise, all the things Paul is getting ready to say belong to you. If you're not, they don't. If you've never asked yourself the question, if you've never considered, am I in Christ? Not just do I go to a Christian church or do I know Christian things or was I raised in a Christian home, but am I in Christ? Am I hidden in him? Do I belong to him? If you've never asked that question, that is the most important question you can ask in your life. It's, it's the number one way the Apostle Paul describes the Christian is in Christ. It's his favorite phrase to use. He uses it 164 times in various forms throughout his letters. He says, in him, in the Lord, in Christ to describe the Christian. This isn't like tools in a toolbox or like, you know, the dress in the closet that you never pull out. No, no, to be in Christ is this intimate union with him. The best way I could think to describe it is like a child in its mother's womb. The child in every sense of the word is in the mother. Its life is coming from the mother. It's being nourished by the mother. It's being protected by the mother. When you look on the child, you're really looking on the mother. That's all you can see. And it's, it's being carried around by the mother. In the same way, when you're in Christ, you're being protected by him, nourished by him, cared for by him. When the father looks on you, he can't even see you. He just sees Christ because you're hidden away in him. And you don't have to fear that he's going to find you out because he put you there if you're in Christ. What this means is that I don't have to go on all my life trying to get God's approval because I already have someone who has it on my behalf. And all I have to do is tuck myself into him and hide myself in him and trust in Christ for my forgiveness, my identity, and my life. I mean, I think that deserves some like hallelujahs and amens, but you guys are just quiet and I don't. So I'll say it again. I'll say it again. If anyone is in Christ, what that means, I don't have to go on looking for God's approval. I just have to hide myself in him and trust in him and look to him. All right. Paul goes on. I will too. If, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You notice that past tense? Not the old is passing away or, hey, finally one day you'll get it and the old you will go away. No, no. The old has passed away. Past tense. He says, this already happened. They're like, Paul, we just... This dude's sleeping with his mom, you know, and like, we're getting drunk on communion, and what do you mean the old has passed? You mean the old should pass away, right? No, no. Paul says, the old has passed away. It's done. And when you get that, you'll start living like that. When you become a Christian, you don't just turn over a new leaf. You know that it's time to turn over a new leaf. It's a new page in a book. That's leaf, page, loose leaf, paper. You know know what I'm saying? A leaf is a page. So you don't just turn over a new leaf when you come to Christ, when you're hidden in Christ. You, you, the old book goes away. Different book. Book, gone, new book. You don't just turn a new leaf. You become a whole new book. It means the old is completely, totally, forever gone. God will never, ever, 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 ever bring up your sins to you again. Not your past sins, not your present sins, not your future sins. He looks on you and he says, my beloved. Why? Because we're in Christ. Amen, hallelujah. Come on. Come on, church. If you're new, you're off the hook. But if you want to join in, it's a party. But Dylan, you don't understand. I've been battling with the same sins for a long time. 
been 5, 10, 20 years. I've been doing the same thing. Surely, you know, my second chance, my third chance, my fourth chance, my fifth, surely I lost my chances. No, you don't understand. In Christ is in Christ. It doesn't matter if it's the 10,000th time you've heard it. It's the first time you've heard it. The good news of Jesus Christ is the good news. The, The salvation that you receive in Christ, it's a free gift. You can't earn it. If you try and earn it, you won't get it. The only way you can have it is to receive it as a gift. And that's how we start the Christian life. That's like the way we enter in. But that's how you live the Christian life too. He carries you all the way to glory until you see him face to face. So what do you do with those sins that we just can't seem to break free of? You know, there's a reason for this series. There's things in our past that we can't seem to break free of. What do we do? Romans 6, 11, the Apostle Paul tells us, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. How do you do it, Paul? He says, consider yourself. It's an accounting term. It means to put yourself in the right column. He says, you're viewing yourself over here. It's time to view yourself over here. Paul, how do I break free of sin in my life? He says, you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You know, the reason why the whole power of positivity has some sway in our lives is because there's some truth to it. There is power in the way that we think. Where they go wrong is they think you can just think of yourself any way you want and then become that. That's not true. But when God says something about us, if we agree with him, it has power to change our lives. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Here's the point. If you want to do business with your past, you have to get a hold of who God says you are. Not who someone else says you are, not who you say you are, but who God says you are. He sees you as you are in Christ. That transforms everything we do. Transforms the way we do community. We take the mask off and we're real with each other because I can accept you as as Christ has accepted me. Changes the way we worship. We don't come in singing one song and two songs and three songs just to get pumped up enough to where I can finally worship because my week was really bad. But we come in and we're right at the throne of God's grace where we can receive his love and receive his mercy and receive his goodness the moment we begin lifting our voices to sing to him. You could have the worst week. You could have sinned last night. You could have woken up, just been bickering with your spouse in the car. You can come in here and that first note drops and you can just lift your hands and praise the Lord. Why? Because you're in Christ. And God is singing over you and he's delighting in you. He's calling you to quit bickering with your spouse and quit sinning like you did. He's saying, hey, look, enough is enough. I love you. I care about you. Walk in my goodness. But he accepts us. He delights in us because we're in Christ. It changes everything. Absolutely changes everything. Uh, St. Augustine, if you've heard of him, he had a lust issue. He had a big lust issue. He had an old mistress. He was walking down the street after he had become a Christian and an old mistress saw him and she says, Augustine. And he kept walking by. She thought, okay, maybe he didn't see me. And uh, she says, Augustine, you know, she wants another fling. And he says, it's good to see you, but no thank you. She says, Augustine, it's me. He replies and says, I know, but it's not I. She says, but Augustine, it's me. I know, but it's not me. What's he doing? He's living in the fact that old Augustine died. A new Augustine lives. He's saying, you know that old man you used to see and he'd go do a little fling with you? That old man died. 
This is a new man. You know, I had a past before I became a Christian. This truth radically set me free. Because I stopped being so nervous that at every turn I was going to slip up. Because I realized, that guy died. I don't have to worry about him haunting me and coming back and taking me over. No, no, he's dead. Dead guys can't do anything, so I'm good. I can go on following Jesus. It's choosing to walk with Christ, and that's what we all must do. At every point of temptation, we believe in our heart, we confess with our mouth, we died to sin, we've been risen with Christ. Which means when you're at your computer screen and temptation is calling your name, you can speak out. No, no, I'm dead to this. That guy died. I'm alive with Christ, so I'm going to walk in a new way. It's absolutely liberating. The Apostle Paul says this in a different way. In his letter to the church in Ephesus, he says to them, he says, put off your old self, put on your new self. Put off that old way of life, that old way of thinking, that old way of living, that old way, those old attitudes, put those off. Put on the new person that God has created in Christ. So, so this whole grace message, you know, you hear it and you think, gosh, why would I, why would I obey God then? I mean, if the straitjacket's gone, then hey, let's have a party. Let's get drunk on some communion. It's just grape juice, guys, but... You know, if the straitjacket's off, then why would I worry about obeying God? Well, don't worry about obeying God. But I'll tell you what, when you get to know him, you want to obey him. When you get to know him, you're like, why would I go back to that? It's so good to walk with him. So practically, Dylan, what do you do? I mean, I get it. I hear you. I've heard it before, but what do I do? Well, hey, Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you're still living that way, you don't get it. Three things, three truths that I remind myself of when I'm tempted to go back to my past. Number one, in Christ, I am completely forgiven. You know, you and I, we could be having like the best day of our lives, and then we see her, or we see him, or that song comes on. And suddenly, we're just flooded with all this guilt and shame. It, hel- it helps to remember, in Christ, I am completely forgiven. Uh, you know, one of the reasons we struggle to believe that we're forgiven is because we know us. We know the thoughts we've had that no one else knows about. We know the things we did in secret behind closed doors that no one else knows about. It's hard for us to believe that God could really forgive us. We know the depths of our own sin, or at least more than anyone else. But check this out, Romans 8.1, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, there is, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There it is again, in Christ. But Paul, all the things that I did, Paul says, hey, the one who knows it all. He knows about the adultery. He knows about the fill in the blank. And he says there is no condemnation. Why? Because you're in Christ. John chapter 8, there's this story of this woman caught in the act of adultery. If you could just raise your hand if if you're familiar with the story at all. The woman caught in the act of adultery. Now, I don't want you to miss the scandal of this story because uh, what happens is these Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus. He's teaching in the temple and some of them go off and they catch this woman in the act of adultery. I mean, it's not like they just sent out a little Twitter feed like, oh, she was committing adultery. No, no, they caught her in the act of adultery and they take her to Jesus and they present her to Jesus exposed as she is. I mean, 
Don't miss the scandal of what's happening in this story. And they present her to Jesus. And all these Pharisees are looking at Jesus with stones in their hands because they know what the law says. And he's supposed to be a teacher of the law. And they have stones in their hands. You know, the law says if you commit adultery, then you're to be stoned to death. And they they have stones in their hands and they're looking at Jesus and looking at this woman and they're saying, Jesus, she was caught in the act of adultery. They're trying to trap him. So, hey, Jesus, what do you think we should do to her? Got this stone right here. What do you think we should do to her? Huh? What do you think, Jesus? They're trying to trap him and then they're going to kill her. What do you think we should do, Jesus? And it says two things. It says he bent down. He bent down. Philippians chapter 2 says that God came down, that Jesus came down, that he humbled himself, that he took on flesh, that he got low, that he became like one of us. Why? So that he could relate to us. He doesn't take a position over this woman. He bends down before this woman. He humbles himself. It would have been remarkable that a teacher of the law would have done that. Secondly, it says he puts his finger to the ground. Now, Mel Gibson in The Passion of the Christ, he kind of, great movie, like that movie, but, you know, the way they depict it is there's dust on the ground and Jesus is just riding in the dust. But we know, archaeologists, through archaeologists, we know that Herod would have had the temple just completely decked out in marble. And the floor wouldn't have been a a dusty floor. It would have been a, a floor of stone. And so Jesus bends down and he puts his finger to the stone. He bends down before this woman and he puts his finger to the stone. Finger to the stone. When else in the Bible did God put his finger to a stone? Ten Commandments, right? What was one of the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not commit adultery. The one who put his finger to the stone and said, Thou shalt not commit adultery, put his finger to the stone before this woman. And then all the Pharisees began to go off one by one. And Jesus gets up when he's done writing because they all realize, We deserve the stones too. We should get out of here. Something I've learned about self-righteous people is they, they tend to carry stones around until they're faced with the fact that they deserve the stones just as much as anyone else. So they all go away. And Jesus says, is there anyone left to accuse you? No, no one. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The one who wrote in the stone, thou shalt not commit adultery, says, I forgive you. In Christ, we are completely, totally, absolutely forgiven. Amen. Got it. In Christ, I am eternally valuable. Some of us in this room, we don't believe that we have worth or value because someone told us that, someone's done something to us. And that's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking that some of us walk around feeling that we don't have worth or value. It's why you stay in that relationship is because you're like, well, I don't really deserve any better. He, he treats me this way or she does that to me, but I, you know, what, what better could I get than this. You think you're a mistake because your parents told you that your whole life, but it's not true. And you need to know that you have a Bible that says that Psalm 139, if you, if you don't know that Psalm and if you live with that, you need to go to that Psalm. You need to meditate on that Psalm. You need to let this Psalm sink into your heart. Psalm 139. You need to know you have a Bible that says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That God knew you before he formed you in your mother's womb. You know what that means? means God saw exactly who you were going to be, how you were going to talk, how you were going to look. He knew you in every sense of the word, and he chose to form you in your mother's womb. There is no such thing as a mistake. You are not a mistake. No human being is a mistake. God knew you, and he chose to form you in your mother's womb. 
think we'd all agree that something has value, not because someone says it has value, but because of the price someone's willing to pay for it. I've had some cars that are some hunks of junk. I could have put $100,000. Doesn't mean they're worth $100,000. How do you know it's worth $100,000? Someone's willing to pay $100,000 for it. God gave his son for you and 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 me. That says something about how valuable we are. Third thing that helps me in Christ, we are unconditionally loved. Raise your hand if you're a parent, if you've got kids. What does your kids have to do to earn your love? Come on, tell me. What do they have to do to earn your love? Nothing? They didn't have to do anything at all. We had a baby girl nine months ago, and I was that dad, you know, always talking to my wife's belly. Hey, little girl, how you doing? How you doing? I was crazy. I couldn't see her. Didn't know what she looked like. She hadn't done anything for me. I, but, I, for, but I loved her at such a level that I wanted her to know when she entered into this world, I wanted her to know daddy's voice. And my wife had an emergency C-section, so, you know, I couldn't see her when she first came out, but all, I heard her at first. The moment I heard her voice, my heart leaped within me. Why? Has she done anything? No. When I did see her, she looked kind of goofy. <laughs> they don't tell you. No one told me. They said, oh, we have to clean her up a little. They didn't tell me. If you've had a kid and you've been in that room, you know what I'm saying. They, that's some slime and some miscoloration. and just, It's like, what, what species did we have? And I knew I'm going to love this girl with all my heart, all my mind, all my body, all my soul till the day that she dies, even if she looks like that till the day that she dies. She didn't have to do anything. She looked kind of goofy. She's beautiful now. She's got daddy wrapped around her little finger. God loves you so much more than that. I'm an imperfect father with an imperfect heart, with sinful attitudes. Man, the Father in heaven gave his only son. How deep the Father's love for us. We need to see that. Not just hear it, but we need to like know that. I love Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7. God says, I love you, not because you're more in number. He's talking to Israel. I love you, not because you're more in number, not because you're the best thing since sliced bread, not because you're so awesome. He says, I love you. Why? Because I love you. The love of God in our life is not dependent on how we do or anything we we do to make him love us. It's, It's dependent on a decision he made to love us. That should make striving cease in our hearts that he loves me. And I can't change that. Ephesians chapter 3, the apostle Paul's on his knees praying for this church in Ephesus. He says, I pray that you would know the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of the love of Christ. Why? Because when we get hold of this, everything changes. I'm praying that for us today. Last thing before I close, who likes The Voice? You know, the show, The Voice? Come on. Hold them high, hold them proud. Come on. I know there's more of you out there. There it is. Hey, I love that show too. My wife and I, we don't miss a season. And if you're not familiar with the show, the way it works is it's all about your voice, you know, the quality of your voice, not how you look. And so the judges turn their backs to the singers. And there's four judges, four chairs. And the singer's singing, and the judge has this button called the I Want You button. 
And if you smack the I want you button, your chair lights up. I want you, I want you, I want you, I want you. And it turns to the singer. And what's really amazing is when all four judges are turned around and they hear this amazing voice. And all four of them hit that button. And all four of them with, with uh, as loud as you could imagine, you know, this, the message is as clear as it could be. We want you. Now, what's really sad in this show is somebody singing and singing, and they stop singing, and they're standing there in front of millions of viewers, and the lights come on, and the judges turn around. No one said, I want you. The message is so clear, it's painful. No one wants you. The the sadder part is that you and I, we put people in that chair could be our spouse, could be our kids, could be our boss, could be the pile of money we're trying with all of our might to attain in life. Whatever it is, we put people in that chair. We want them to, to tell us, I want you. The sad thing is none of them have that power. None of them are able to tell us at the, the depth of who we are, I want you. None of them can see the grossest parts of us and say, I want you. And the only one who can already did. We spend our whole lives trying to gain that, and he already did. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He wants us. He sent his son for us. We're going to talk a lot these next two weeks about getting past our past, but the first step we have to take is knowing who we are in Christ. And if we get hold of that, it changes everything. 